her she bangs I'm wasted by the way she moves No one ever looks so fine She reminds me that a woman's got one thing on her mind Welcome to She Bangs, She Bangs Marriage, Adultery, Texas, and Jesus A totally spiritual yet equally foul-mouthed podcast about marriage, mistresses, and possibilities I'm your host, Jennifer Bangs. Years ago, I ran a ragtag social club in Los Angeles called IGTS. I-G-T-S. I'm going through shit. And we all aspire to be IBITS. I've been through shit. And you had to be invited into our club because we didn't want any happy people there talking about their awesome lives. We were all women with husbands who had left us and we all wanted to save our marriages. We met every week, poured wine, and shared stories. When my husband first left me for another woman, I still wore my wedding ring and was on my knees every day for a year, pleading God would bring my husband home. I told myself if he ever came back that I would write about it. And he did. So, I did. And the book draft sat on the shelf for two years because, though he was home, I knew the story wasn't over yet. And then I had an affair with a married man. And the dusty memoir went into the garbage for what did I have to say about marriage anymore? And then, as time went on, I realized, wait, actually, I have a lot to say about marriage because I have seen marriage from two sides the side of wife, and the side of mistress. I have been the wife fighting for her marriage, and I've been the mistress watching another wife not fight for hers. There is something quite powerful about marriage. I realized that power as I buried my face in our eggplant-colored carpet every night I prayed my husband would come home, And I realized that power years later as I lay in bed with my paramour as he sobbed in my arms over his infidelity. Believe me, this is not the subject I wanted to have extensive knowledge on. No girl grows up thinking, you know, someday I'd really like to be a wife who gets cheated on and be a mistress. When I was in my Igots group, we were all desperate for stories of people fighting for their marriages. Where we chose to start listening to these stories, however, was different for all of us. Some of the women in the group liked to hear the background of how the couple met, others wanted to understand the childhood and psychology, and other people like me wanted to skip right to the bloody part. If you're like me in this regard, skip halfway into episode two. If you're like my other friends, then you'll appreciate this first episode. Personally, I think my adolescence was boring as F, but I guess that's what makes what ended up happening all the more interesting. This podcast is for that special group of people fighting for their marriages alone. And this podcast is also for that wider group of people who don't know if they even want to stay married. And sure, this podcast is also for people who just like a good story. And I can promise you, it's a good story. As we travel down this unexpected road together, Please remember two things. Number one, this is a season. It won't last forever. And number two, you are not alone. So 
grab a glass of wine, and welcome to Igots. My story starts in Texas. You can't hide your lying eyes And your smile is a thin disguise Thought by now you'd realize Ain't no way to hide your lying eyes Texas is where I grew up, the Bible Belt. And though I wanted to be a veterinarian or an archaeologist or an actress when I grew up, what I always wanted to be was married. I always wanted to get married. I was never boy crazy, more husband crazy. I didn't want kids, but I wanted a husband. I had stuffed animals, not baby dolls, and I had Barbies that would make out and my heart would race as Ken would slide Barbie's pants off. It was the most action I would ever get in my adolescence because as much as I wanted a boy, I could never seem to grab the attention of one. Maybe it was because I had no game. I didn't flirt, I didn't talk to them. I think rather I was combative. I didn't have any sisters to teach me how girls should talk to boys, and all my girlfriends were nerds just like me, so no boys liked me. Until I turned 15 and one finally kissed me. I was in junior high, and he was a senior in high school. Now look, I won't out the guy here, we're still loose friends on Facebook, but this guy, we'll call him Ryan, must have been a stoner or a loser or something because he was an 18-year-old senior and I was in junior high. Now technically I was a freshman. But our school system was 7th through 9th for junior high and 10 through 12 for high school. Maybe some people would think that meant they were super cool to catch the eye of a senior, but I knew better. Boys had never been interested in me, so why should a senior? Something must be wrong with him, I knew deep down, but he looked like Christian Slater, so I didn't care. We met at a high school party and started talking on the phone, and after a couple of weeks, he comes over to my house We play Nintendo and take my Australian Shepherd Dundee for a walk. And at the end of the evening, I walk Ryan outside down our long stairway that goes from the top of the hill down the front yard to the street where his white Mustang is parked. We stand in front of his driver door saying goodbye, and then he kisses me. His mouth is massive compared to my little blossoming face, so I accidentally bite his lip. He then pulls away and says, wow, you're a wild kisser. It was not a compliment. He drives off and I run upstairs to my room, slam the door, ripping open my diary and writing in big capital letters, oh my God, oh my God, I could just die. I had no idea how to kiss and I clearly had used my tongue like a garbage disposal. It was horrifying. I graduated junior high and suddenly boys started liking me. Maybe because since one had expressed interest, now I was starting to understand the game. And despite the change that there were now guys coming around, my dad didn't seem to notice or care. Whenever I went on a date, it went like this. I'd be upstairs in my bedroom getting ready, putting my hair in hot sticks. 
The doorbell would ring. My dad, whose office was right next to the front door, would open it, yell, Jennifer, someone's here for you, then go right back into his office and shut the door. The guy would stand there sheepishly until I appeared at the top of the staircase, come down, and then we'd walk out the front door, down the long front yard stairs, get into his car, and go. I always remember being so sad that my dad never wanted to get to know anything about these guys. Weren't fathers supposed to be sitting on the front porch with a shotgun trying to scare off any male suitors? I'm the oldest of three and have two younger brothers. There were three males in my family, and none of them seemed to care in the slightest about protecting me. I mean, I get that my littlest brother was too little, but my other brother, only one year younger than me, never once did I hear utter the words, if anyone messes with my sister, dot, dot, dot. And this brother is now a cop, so it's not like he didn't have it in him. My dad didn't seem to give a shit who I was going out with, so maybe that's another reason marriage always seemed like this bright and shiny star, this faraway dream that I wanted to catch so badly because someday maybe a man would want to take care of me, see me as something of value to be protected. Growing up, I never had a man treat me that way. No grandpa, no father, no uncle, no brother, no cousin, no friend, nobody. And though I am enormously thankful that I was never, ever sexually hurt by a man, I was also never noticed. As for my mom, I don't remember her ever talking to any of my boyfriends or even asking about them. Like the rest of my family, she seemed equally uninterested in anybody I was dating. My family didn't talk about feelings or thoughts or anything of value. I never once recall having a conversation of any significance in the years growing up in my home. Not once. It was always, how was school? What are we doing tonight? What are we doing tomorrow? What are we doing next week? Logistics. That's it. My parents were really good at and invested in logistics, not emotions. So whenever a boy came to the door, my dad was in his office and my mom was either in the kitchen or doing laundry or volunteering at church. Doing stuff. My first kiss was when I was 15 and the first boy I ever loved was when I was 17. His name was Clark and he looked like a young Harry Connick Jr. with lips to match. My shitty brother played the shitty baritone in the high school band and Clark played the French horn. So I would go to the stupid band concerts and make myself available to mingle with the musicians. And after a couple of minglings, Clark eventually asked me out. We dated that fall, and on Christmas Eve that year, he gave me a sapphire ring from James Avery, the quintessential Texas jewelry store. The sapphire was his birthstone, which was a little weird, but I was so touched. I'd never received anything from a boy before. After he gave me the ring that night, I kissed him goodbye at my front door, and as he left, I sat down in our large living room chair. The house was quiet, everyone was asleep, and I sat in that chair and cried, because I knew I had just fallen in love. He broke my heart several months later when he went away to college. He was a year older. But thanks to the modern phenomenon of internet stalking, I've watched him over the years become what looks to be a devoted husband and father. I instinctively knew at the time, as a teenager, that he was a keeper, that he was a good man and would grow up to be a good husband someday. 
I remember sitting with him in his living room one day when we were first dating and suddenly being overwhelmed by this deflating thought that one day he would be married and his wife would never know him like I knew him in that moment. That I had access to parts of knowing him that could not be replicated because time moves forward and essences are lost. And somehow, this thought made me sad because I thought how unfair that was. I always carried a deep awareness of the beauty of marriage and its value. I don't know why. The simplest answer is I was born that way. My parents are still together, but their marriage never struck me as being awesome. Maybe that's what spurred me on to want a marriage that was. Not to say that my desire for marriage was some kind of obsession that had me only wanting to date marriage material. I mean, I was still a teenager with typical teenagery dreams. I knew I wanted to go to acting school in New York or California, and I knew no one I dated in high school was I going to marry. So I was happy dating boys and making out with them, but I was not going to have sex with them. Like, that was not even an option. Because you could get pregnant if you had sex, and I was not going to be an unwed mother. In the South? Hell no. And boys didn't pressure me because, I don't know, we were in the Bible Belt, and we were all hearing the same message. Don't have sex before marriage. This was part of the understood culture, and it wasn't like an unspoken rule or anything. It was spoken, decidedly, fervently. I remember being in eighth grade before boys even entered my world and visiting my friend's Southern Baptist Church. And that day they split the boys and the girls up and we each went into separate rooms and the teacher then whips out this flower and starts talking about how we girls are all precious like this flower and we shouldn't give ourselves away until we got married. I have no idea if this woman was aware of the vaginal analogy she was making with that flower. And to be honest, it took me decades to connect the two, but suffice it to say, whenever I think of losing one's virginity, I often see that flower flash through my head. And though in the Bible Belt there is this very blatant and spoken out loud understanding that you should remain a virgin until marriage, there was also a very gracious and blurry line delineating what you could get away with and still remain a virgin. Basically, you could do anything except intercourse. Intercourse and your flower was toast, but anything else was fair game. I mean, you like didn't flaunt this knowledge. This was the understood unspoken rule. But as long as a penis did not enter a vagina, you were good to go. This, however, did not mean you would not be racked with enormous amounts of guilt the entire time and subsequent time after, as I would furiously write in my diary how sorry God I am for crossing the line and please help me not to do it again. My entire teens and 20s was me literally shutting my eyes and not ever looking at a penis I was interacting with, thinking if I didn't actually see the penis, it would make the sin less real. And by the way, this totally works. As the majority of penises I've ever come in contact with, I could not tell you what any of them looked like. And therefore, like, it never happened. Somewhere beyond the sea, somewhere waiting for me, my lover stands on golden sands and watches the ships that go La mer, en voie dans
For graduation, my grandparents took me to Paris, the most romantic city in the world. I just graduated high school and my cousin had just graduated college, so our grandparents took us to Paris as a joint graduation gift. I had just broken up with the boy I'd gone to prom with. He liked to chew tobacco and was a terrible kisser. And I really, really liked him, so Paris, with its copious amounts of couples and clutches, was not the best place to travel after a breakup. But I was happy for the trip and the distraction, and after a couple of days of getting used to seeing couples suck face along the Seine, I started to enjoy myself and stopped missing the guy. My grandparents, cousin, and I traveled to the Eiffel Tower, and I broke off from the group to be by myself. The sun was starting to set, and I thought, what a picturesque moment this would be to watch my first sunset from the Eiffel Tower. Yes, I was 18 years old and had never seen a sunset. I peered over the rails, watching the orange and fuchsia glow. It was beautiful. But then, I turned my back and walked away. No, I thought. I'm going to save this to watch with the man I'm going to marry someday. Later that summer, between high school and college, I started dating a guy named Tom. We'd gone to high school together and had been in the same graduating class, but had never hooked up until college. He would stay in Texas while I went away to university in New York, and I'd see him every time I came home, during the summers, and on Christmas and spring breaks. We enjoyed each other's company, but we were never serious. And because so, I kept my options open. But musical theater school in New York City produces like uh, no options. So I didn't really date anyone during college except for Tom. And that was okay because I was really focusing on school. But it was nice to come home and Tom always be there. He was familiar and physically he was, oh, what's the word? Divine, yummy, sexy, I don't know, just physically gorgeous with large muscles and hands that knew how to touch me. We did the everything but intercourse dance until one day I got drunk on margaritas at Chili's and we had sex in his apartment afterwards. It was super fast and after we were done, I was crushed. There goes my flower. I was no longer a virgin and it was not a title I could ever get back no matter how many purity rings I wore. I had managed to stay a virgin until 21 years old, and in one drunken stupor, I chucked it all for a guy I wasn't in love with. I was so disappointed in myself. I remember thinking when I got married someday, I shouldn't buy a pure white dress, that it should be a little yellowed. Aside from the first boy I ever loved, Clark, the French horn boy, None of the men up to this point had made any real major impacts in my life, except this next one. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention him as he played and still plays a pretty big role in all of this. Jesus. Now, before you turn this podcast off thinking this is some slick way of proselytizing, you're wrong. It doesn't matter if you're a spiritual person. I mean, that's not what this podcast is about. But come on, Jesus is in the title of this show. So you got to know I'm going to like say something about him. Growing up in Texas, Jesus was kind of like this mascot in the whole Christian versus the world game, and I cheered for him because he represented my team. But it wasn't until after college that I started to break away from this mindset and embrace something completely different. 
And it's here that my personality really started to change and my views and choices started to reflect a much more autonomous and independent spirituality and religiosity. I started believing in Jesus the man, not the mascot. And he became a real person to me, as real as any of these guys I've been talking about. And I mention him because I'd often hear him kind of like, I don't know, whisper in my ear or maybe like tap my shoulder and push me one way or another. And I don't at all mean this to sound creepy. I'm just trying to liken him to the kind of influence these other men had. His opinion of me and life altered how I looked at marriage. I started seeing that his bar for the whole thing was actually much higher than mine, and he kind of called me out of this dreamy, whimsical, princess bride sort of fantasy into an understanding of the beauty and battle of it. That I had to look inward if I was a worthy wife, not just if I could find a worthy husband. And this deeper respect only solidified my desire for marriage. I had other aspirations to sing and act and make a name for myself, But my little girl desire to be a wife someday, to find my someone, only matured. Now, whenever I say Jesus in this podcast, that name is interchangeable with the name God. You know how Catholics or baseball players cross themselves? They're doing the sign of the Trinity. Father, you touch your head. Son, you touch your heart. Spirit, you touch each shoulder. So anytime I say God or Jesus in this podcast, it's the same thing. Okay. You just got a nice little Sunday school lesson without even stepping into church. Look at you. After college in New York, I went on tour for a while around the world, dated a questionably asexual Aussie who laughed when I tried to go down under on him, and then I moved back to Texas because I didn't have a job and didn't know where to go. And it was here I met the first great love of my life, Joseph. He was a writer, he was Italian, he was a traveler, and he made me laugh harder than anyone I knew. I fell wildly and madly in love with him. When he first asked me out, I asked him if he felt God giving him the okay, or if he just wanted to date and see what happened. He seemed a little taken aback by the question, but said he'd go back to God and confirm. This was around Thanksgiving, and that year I traveled to my roommate's small hometown farm in Oklahoma. We were eating lunch the Sunday before I drove home, and my roommate's mom gets a phone call on her landline. She answers it, and then hands the phone to me. Hello? It was Joseph. He wanted to know when I was getting back and if I wanted to go on a date. Now, Let me explain. My roommate grew up on a small farm in Arnett, Oklahoma. My cell phone did not have coverage there. So Joseph had gone onto the internet, found my roommate's family tree, searched the white pages for any names in the surrounding area, found an uncle who then gave his sister's home phone number. The tenacity, the resourcefulness... I was delirious with joy. I drove home completely giddy, but also thinking good and hard on the three-hour drive through Cowfields. Was this just me liking a guy for a short time? Or was this someone I could marry? I was getting older and didn't want to be dating guys I had no future with. And on that car drive home, I felt very assured Joseph was someone very special, and I should date him. So... Joseph and I started going out, and I was so in love. Then one day out of the blue, Joseph said he thought we should break up. He said he was confused, that he wasn't sure what God was saying anymore. 
I asked him, well, what was the last thing you heard God say? And let's just go with that otherwise. Joseph wasn't so sure. So he broke up with me. I felt the wind suck right out of my sails. Didn't God kind of encourage me to date this man? Why would he do that just to know that we were going to break up so abruptly? It didn't make any sense, especially since Joseph's reasons were unclear. So I went to God and asked, what was I supposed to think of all this? And God answered, love him and wait for him. I did. And soon enough, Joseph swooped back into my life and we started dating again. Then, a few weeks later, he broke up with me. Same reason. He was confused. I was confused. So I went back to God and heard the same message. Love him and wait for him. So I did. Joseph came back. Things were great. Then he broke up with me again for the same muddled reasons. This went on for two years I was crying out to God every day, pleading with him what to do. I just didn't understand. Why would I hear the go-ahead from God only to have it match up, Joseph and I get back together, and then all of it be ripped away again? The thought that kept haunting my mind during this entire time was, am I crazy? I didn't want to be thinking I was hearing from God and it just not be true. That I was some whack job so desperately in love with a man that she would cling to anything that said to have hope. But the thing is, God confirmed the same mantra, love him and wait for him, over and over and over again. He spoke to me in all the ways God speaks to people, through dreams, visions, other people, sermons, fasting, the Bible, prophets, and yes, even his audible voice. I woke up one morning after one of Joseph's confusing, we should break ups, and heard the words, You are the wife in the fly. Without a doubt, I knew it was from God. No doubt whatsoever. However, I had no idea what you are the wife in the fly meant. It was gibberish. I knew there was a movie from the 80s with Jeff Goldblum, but I had never seen it. That day at work, as a few of us stood around my desk, I was a receptionist, I asked a couple of guys if there was a wife in the fly. No, they answered, just a girlfriend. Oh, I said, very puzzled. A few minutes later, another employee walks over. Hey, what are you guys talking about? Mm, The movie, The Fly. Oh, which one? The 30s or 80s version? Wait, there's a 30s version? Yeah. Oh, well, then in the 30s version, is there a wife in it? No, I think just a girlfriend. Oh. Another guy walks up. What are you guys talking about? The Fly. The 30s, 50s, or 80s version? Wait, there's a 50s version? Yeah. Well, in the 50s version, is there a wife? Yeah, I think so. Awesome. So, I found some old video store in Dallas that carried the movie, The Fly, and watched it. Now, for those of you who have not seen this 1950s classic, in the beginning of the movie, there is a married couple. Very happy, very solid. Then the husband gets into this weird science experiment where he becomes part fly and shuts himself off from the wife. His wife tries desperately to help him, but he will not let her. She eventually helps him kill himself. Again, I can only take the movie analogy so far. I was just told that I was the wife. But at the end of the film, the wife's brother-in-law asks her how she can be so at peace with her husband being dead. Because, she said, the man I married turned into something else and I can let go in peace, or something like that. 
What I took from the movie was that God was saying, Jennifer, you did everything you could. You loved like you were supposed to. Now it's over. And that was that. I felt utterly deflated. After two years of sobbing and pouring myself out to God for answers and hearing him say love and wait for him over and over again, only to have it end in nothing, seemed cruel. It didn't make any sense. And that hurt and confusion lasted for years. I eventually went on to date other guys, but could never get the whole Joseph situation out of my mind. Why would God do that? It didn't make any sense. I wasn't asking why this happened or why do bad things happen. I was really just like, what happened? It rattled my confidence and my ability to hear from God. Why would God continually tell me to love and wait for a man that eventually would walk away? I could not understand this. And this confusion haunted me and eventually pulled me away from ever praying to God like that again. I figured it didn't matter. I'd get screwed regardless if God's hand was in it or not. Months went by and I enrolled in a comedy improv group and met a guy there named Ray. He was from a tiny town in Texas called Star. Ray from Star. It had a nice ring to it. We started dating and he was great, but I don't know. I was still reeling from the relationship with Joseph. It wasn't just about getting over a man I'd love so deeply. It was also about getting over how I'd related to God my entire adult life. I had felt so sure God had wanted Joseph and I to date, but Joseph's constant breaking up with me left me not knowing how to talk to God or how to listen. I stopped asking what God thought or wanted regarding men in my life. What did it matter what God had to say? I didn't know if I could even hear him correctly anymore. All the leaves are brown. I decided to head west, try my hand at Hollywood. Though my relationship with Ray had grown pretty serious, I was still a little hung up on Joseph, and Texas was dragging me down. I wasn't getting much work as an actor, and I figured if I was going to be a starving artist, I'd rather be starving in a city that actually had food. So I drove my green Volkswagen Beetle halfway across the country to start a new life. And it was in L.A. that I finally met the man I would marry. Tune in next episode, episode two, The Man Who Stole My Heart. This is She Bangs, She Bangs, Marriage, Adultery, Texas, and Jesus. Find me on Twitter at Jennifer Bangs or SheBangsSheBangs.com. Cheers. Until next time. She bangs, she bangs, I'm waiting.